Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. It's 89 and fine up here in the great state of New Jersey. But as always, from NJ to NC, I'm in the studio with my right-hand man, Mark Lee. So, Mark, tell me what's good in your neck of the woods, my brother. Well, you know, like you just said, it's warm over here, too. I just checked the temperature, and they said it was something like 91, 92 degrees. And as far as I'm concerned, that you might as well call that. You know, anytime you get over 90, <laughs> you might as well say 100, because once you get over 90, you're pushing near that. And that's why I think right. they said 88, where they feels like of 92. I just went out there because I had to go out and get a bite to eat and some things of that nature. And it felt more like 96 to 100 to me. So it felt a little warm. And I was just going for a short walk, a couple of blocks around the corner, and just coming back and forth i was like good grief it's warm because you know on the, yeah. another show that i do that ibm tv show where i had a yoga lady and a um lady that does good cooking and things of that nature you know healthy cooking and all of that mm-hmm. and the yoga lady gave a demonstration we talked about how important it is to have good health and everything but i told him i was going for a walk but after i went out there <laughs> uh the walk was too the uh store and back because i think i'm gonna have to save that other walk the exercise walk either for later on this evening or tomorrow because it was not feeling like walking weather to me at this particular time. So I think I might have to wait till it gets a little bit cooler or try to arrange it so these walks happen a little bit on a different time because it was definitely a little bit on the toasty side out there. But, you know, things are going well over here. We still got folks uh, doing things in terms of trying to stay healthy with uh, the fact that we're in the middle of that pandemic and all of that kind of stuff. And, of course, we're still having Black Lives Matter protests throughout the country and throughout the world because every time you turn around, something else is going on and there's some other actions that are taking place. So, you know, we're still keeping very busy with that. And, of course, as you know, Everybody is definitely, you know, I think a lot of folks are waiting for that second stimulus check because, you know, funds are tight (laughs) these days for a lot of people. You know, some people are collecting unemployment. Some people are collecting little side gigs, doing whatever they can do. But funds are definitely tight. And I know I've had a couple of conversations with friends of mine that are like, you know, they heard rumors that there might be a second stimulus check. And they're like, I need it now. Because, you know, despite what some people say about, you know, we're on the rebound and the economy is wonderful and all of that kind of stuff. A lot of my friends are like, they don't know who they're talking to because they're not talking to the folks in my circle. Because a lot of folks that I know are still struggling in a lot of different ways. So they're seeing those struggles going Mm -hmm. on and things of that nature. So, like I said, I don't know who they're talking to, that they're thinking that these things are not happening. But what I'm seeing is a lot of folks struggling and a lot of folks having great deals of struggle in those things. But, you know, even in struggle, folks find a way to uh, have some excitement. So my uh, pop sent me an article. It was actually an article about Evelyn Ponder, who is my uh, brother's uh, girlfriend's daughter, and just about how she got a surprise graduation present that she really enjoyed, you know, because folks are trying to find a way to even have excitement for these folks that are not having the traditional celebrations at traditional graduations. So in right. her case, they actually did 
a group of slingshot drivers because my brother is a member of a slingshot club. So they actually went out there and did a uh, way to honor her that way. And a good family friend, Adam Sopsy, wrote about it in a, uh, looks like a magazine or something online called Adapt. And it looks like it's connected to the hiker company. Uh, you can check it out at adapt.hikercompany.com. But they were just talking about how in a lot of different places, people were doing unusual things to help graduates. Like apparently in New Hampshire, a ski resort donated its lift to a local high school for a literally uplifting flyover ceremony. And in Nashville, Tennessee, a ride-along event made a graduate named Dontrell Spencer famous for his astonishing flood of emotion some of it surely elicited by the current collective mode, mood, I should say, under quarantine. And then that's where the article talked about what Evelyn went to. Because, you know, she was even saying she wasn't all that excited about graduating from high school. She was uh, <laughs> just, just a big fan of them mailing out diplomas and trying again for a ceremony when she graduated from college. And definitely that sounded like some sage advice that she was giving to herself. But uh, okay. my brother wasn't having that. My brother was not going to have that. He wasn't going to let the circumstance pass without pomp. And he is a member of a group called the Capital City Slingers, an area chapter of slingshot car owners. The group is only about a year old, but it's quickly taken hold locally, and its steadily increase in membership has risen dramatically during the pandemic. So, you know, they're okay. always trying to do some good things for the community. So they've uh, rode in holiday parades, lend their presence to charitable and humanitarian causes such as breast cancer and multiple sclerosis awareness events, and they maintain an enthusiasm for and commitment to doing more than just getting together for weekend highway rides. So, you know, they check in with each other on a regular right. basis and see what folks are doing. And so, like I said, he realized she was going to graduate. So uh, more than a dozen slingshotters rumbling in full regalia came down her cul-de-sac, sounding horns and music aplenty. And, you know, I'm sure the neighborhood was just totally shocked by that. And, uh, <laughs> Matter of fact, Evelyn said if it was really special, if they had handed me my, my diploma, I would have said, this is it. I graduated. We're done. But apparently they weren't <laughs> done because some of the other members also had kids that were graduating, and they had people that were in the community, like in retirement homes and things of that nature. So they went mm -hmm. around the community and did some other things as well. So, you know, folks are finding ways to do things like that. I know that all oh, this past weekend, a group of folks actually did a contactless uh, Juneteenth parade, you know, Juneteenth, which is the celebration of um, freedom from slavery and things of that nature. They did a contactless parade. So they had a bunch of folks, I think I was told somewhere around 65, 70, 80 cars that were involved going wow. down certain neighborhoods around Durham. And they did pass out some uh, goodies to some people that came off their porch that dealt with uh, you know, things, I think there was some voter registration information in there. There was definitely some uh, goodies to get people through these kind of times. I'm not even sure all of the nature of what they gave out, but they did give away some things. And that went on this past Saturday as a celebration of Juneteenth. So we do know that even though folks were not able to do the more traditional way of Juneteenth, there were some organizations that were out there, and there were ways that folks were getting their celebration in of this very important holiday. You know, a holiday that was almost, yes. almost hijacked because certain people tried to try to do an event in Tulsa, you know, where there was a major riot way back when uh, that killed a lot of people and was very sad in the way that it was handled and everything. And that was going to be the day that a major Republican event was going to happen until, you know, his uh, 
three or four, because I'm not convinced he has more than three or four, but his three or four brother friends and sister <laughs> friends told him that he might not want to do it on that day because that was the day of Juneteenth. So, you know, he did back off. He did it another day. I understand that he did not have the turnout that he was expecting. I also understand that some of his people came down with the COVID and everything. So, you know, it does, does wow. sound like it was quite the thing that he was expecting it to be. I'm not, oh, all not that sure that, I'm not all that sure that some of the people that were involved in it didn't get another memo because, you know, while they avoided <laughs> one holiday, they didn't avoid another holiday because I'm sure that some of our friends, and, you know, I know that you know some people in this community that I'm going to mention. I've got some friends and acquaintances in this community that I'm going to mention as well. But, you know, he avoided Juneteenth, so instead he does it on the day of the riots that happened there in New York City that a lot of people say were the whole um, thing that started off the LGBT movement. So he did it, and, you know, there was a very popular, uh, I believe it was a hotel or something there, and they had these rides sometime back. I want to say it was called uh, Stonewall or something like that, the riots that they had almost back in 1969. And a lot of people put that as the beginning of the LGBT um, movement that has gone on for a number of years. So, you know, he avoids one holiday, but he has it on the same time or near the same time. So maybe it wasn't on the exact same day because I'm actually looking it up. But I do know that uh, that holiday is covered up. So it looks like it was actually on this coming week that it was going on. But still, no, it doesn't matter. He's, he's doing it near a time of another major event that set off things right. in our community. But it says that the Stonewall riots also referred to as the Stonewall Uprisings or the Stonewall Rebellion were a series of spontaneous Valid demonstrations by members of the LGBT community in response to a police raid that began in the early morning hours of June 28, 1969 at the Stonewall Inn in the Greenwich Village neighborhood of Manhattan, New York City. Patrons of the Stonewall, other village uh, clubs that catered to that crowd, and neighborhood street people fought back when the police became violent. The riots were widely considered to constitute one of the most important events leading to the gay liberation movement and the modern fight for LGBT rights in the United States. So, you know, he's having events like right near major events for a lot of folks that are involved in a lot of struggles in our community that are still going on. So I just think the man needs to do a better job of research when he tries to do these events. Like, you know, whether it was... Uh, this coming week, which is what this one appears to have been on, or whether it was the same week as Juneteenth. It just seems to me that just doing these, doing this time just is wrong in a lot of ways. And I do know that this would have been the weekend in New York of the Pride March. So definitely whether mm -hmm. that Stonewall had happened this week or not, this would have been the week that the Pride March would have gone on. I understand that it was a virtual uh, parade instead, and I think they had it on Sunday. But definitely, it seems to me that, you know, you're doing things on weeks of Pride, week of Juneteenth, week of a lot of things that are being commemorated by people that are not your biggest fans. So I'm wondering if you didn't not do those kind of things intentionally. So I'm wondering if he might not have done these things totally intentionally and without consideration for what a lot of other folks are thinking about or going through. So, And uh, I know that in the world of sports, uh, we might be actually getting – because I know you're more of the football kind of guy, but I, we uh, may get football. We're still waiting to see. But it looks like basketball may be taking place. I understand that there might be some training going on. It's all going to be down there in Florida, it looks like. But it looks like there might be some training going on this week. And they might even get some games in July. 
I'm a fan of the TBT tournament, and that's going to go on in one location as well. That's kind of like um, that kind of uh, leagues that are a combination of current college players and folks that had their heyday, and some of them might have even played in the pro. Uh, there have been all kinds of these pro-am kind of tournaments that take place in the summer. TBT became a big favorite because it had this unusual ending where you had to win by a certain amount of points and you had to do these other kind of things and these new rules that they instituted that some people think may actually eventually come into the NBA. Some of these unusual rules that they came up with that made the game a little bit, uh, gave it a different twist. I'll put it that way. Gave it a different twist. So right. It's going to be interesting to see whether, uh, but I understand that that will take place uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend. And like I said, I understand that the NBA might be going on. NASCAR had a race, um, a big race, I believe, this weekend. So it does seem like some sports are trying to take on. I believe baseball might be trying to come back into the uh, – get some semblance of going on and everything. So it does look like there are some attempts to try to get things going and back going on a regular basis. So it's going to be real interesting to see – how this all plays out and whether folks actually get these things happening or whether it's just going to be uh, eventually folks calling off the season and there being no season. But we're going to see how this all plays out and whether we actually get a season or whether some of these sports actually do not happen. But it does look like a lot of the powers that be are trying to get these things to go on. And, of course, people are still taking down statues for a variety of reasons. I understand uh, they took some yeah. down in Raleigh. They took some down in some other parts of the country. And so folks are definitely uh, having that go on. I understand that they took down some statues dealing with one of the uh, people with our newspaper here, the Raleigh News and Observer, because apparently Frank Daniels, one of the people involved with that paper, was also known to have some racist viewpoints and things of that nature. So I know North Carolina State, I think it may have changed the building name because of some of the things that were going on. And I know they definitely took down a statue in honor of him. So I know that definitely folks are starting to think about buildings that might need changes, name changes, or, of course, people thinking about um, even taking down statues. Um, I think if we take the statues down, because some people might want that history. I personally do not need to have a Confederate soldier staring me in the face in a major a major metropolitan city or anywhere in the world. So I don't need that. But, you know, maybe we'll just put them in a museum. That's, because then it's your choice you know, whether you go to that museum or whatever. But that's your right. choice. But I don't need it in my public space, in my public space. That's just my opinion. Uh, you know what? I don't even know if we want to put them in a – do we really want to put them in a museum? Uh, I say just be done with it. You know, I know in Richmond, Virginia, not too far from my hometown, they took down the statue and put it in the lake. You know, so it was like it's a done deal. You know what I mean? They were like, we're done with this. We're putting it in the lake. We dare you to say something about it. It's over. You know what I mean? So (laughs) they got it down up here in Camden, New Jersey. They're looking to change the name of Woodrow Wilson High School because – even though he was one of our past presidents, he was very racist. So, you know, they're, they're taking uh, the tide is changing, man, and a lot of things are going to be different now. Some people are not going to be able to handle those changes, but it's going to be all right because the change is going to happen anyway. So maybe it's a good thing, you know? 
Hopefully it's going to be a good thing. Hopefully things will happen. There will be finding out positive things and the way that things can change on a positive side because we got too many of these uh, negative things that are happening, so we need to have some positivity in our lives. There's no doubt about that. That's part of what some of the people that I've talked to on some of our other shows have shared with us, that they're ready to see a positive change. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me that some of our younger people are taking lead, and they're taking lead in a very positive way. They're, you know, while they might have liked what our generation did, or particularly minded in their uh, late 50s and some of my friends that are in their early 50s and definitely have friends in their 40s. But some of these other kids that are coming up now that are teens and 20s and 30s, they just seem to have a whole other attitude, which is basically that we want to rewrite history and not, uh, and not in a negative sense, but like make history, acknowledge what happened in history, but kind of like put our stamp on it and make it a very positive kind of stamp. That's what I'm observing from a lot of our young leaders that they don't mind talking about the history they don't mind knowing about the history but at the same time you know they don't want to sugarcoat the history because that is sometimes what has happened whether it's been Christopher Columbus or whether, as you just mentioned Woodrow Wilson or some of the other leaders that did have some dark side to what they were doing they didn't want to necessarily sugarcoat that so they are willing to you know talk about the bumps talk about the bad side but at the same time get some folks involved in making some positive change. So I know that that happens every generation. I'm sure that when my dad's generation, which was the folks in the 60s came along, my grandmother and granddad were probably like, you know, thinking that some change would be made and that some positive change would be made. And there were changes made from their generation. The same with the folks of us that were in college in the 80s compared to those that in the 60s. And I guess the same could be said for those that came into college in the 2000s and now those that are coming into college in the 2020s. So it's going to be real interesting to see whether these positive changes that we think are going to come around are actually going to happen or whether we're just going to go backwards because things do sometimes happen in cycles. So like I said, there are definitely some positive things that are going on with what's happening in the world. But we also know there's some things that I bet you right now, and this is just my thought, I know my grandparents are no longer here, none of them, and I know that none of my great-grandparents are around, but I bet you that if they were to come back into this earth in this day and time, and even some friends of mine that have passed on in the last five to ten years and reflect on what's going on now, they would be shocked that some of the battles that we were that were being fought by them in the 40s and the 60s are still being fought in the year 2020. And you know what? I guess one of the biggest things is to allow those young folks to, they they want to be involved and they want to lead and, and we need to guide them when they have questions to find out what didn't work, you know, to be able to have those conversations. Well, when it was done this way, this is what failed and have those honest conversations because when a new set of eyes looks at a certain problem or issue or situation, then sometimes they have a better way of attacking or addressing or handling that problem. So don't stifle their voices because the second you stifle their voices, the second you say, okay, we are content with doing the same thing the same way and continuing to run in circles. So, you know, they, they, They've gotten to the point now. They said, well, you know what? This continues to happen. We watched it growing up and no more. So I applaud them for, you know, taking a stand because they could have just said, well, 
yeah, the old folks got it, and hopefully they do something. But instead of sitting back and just critiquing things, they are taking leadership spots. So the batons are starting to get passed. And hopefully they'll got it all the way right. We've been turning the corner, we've been turning the corner, and we've been turning the corner. So now let's see what the younger folks do with it. You know, give them the opportunity to let their voices and ideas and concerns and all of those things, allow it to be heard, listen to what they're saying, and also be willing to work with them. Because it's the only way this thing is going to work. You know, we can't try to sabotage them because we don't like everything we may see or hear. I'm quite sure they don't like any of it. And that's the reason why they're saying, you know what? All right, Mark Lee, Dean Geronimo, it's, it's time. Y'all had your time. You know, we're going to take it from here. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that at all. Definitely have to find ways to let them have their moment in the sun and things of that nature. I know I ran into a good friend of mine, Nia Wilson, who runs the Spirit House uh, group here in North Carolina. She's definitely a sage veteran of the civil rights struggle and things of that nature. But she was even saying, you know, she's definitely getting up there in age herself. You know, the virus is going out there, definitely hitting people of an older age. So she has no problem with letting some of her young charges take that leadership role and letting them put their stamp on things and not trying to let uh, put her stamp on it. You know, she's letting them run with some ideas that they've got, even in some of the Black Lives Matter protests that are taking place here in this area. So, yes, I'm sure she's giving them advice and, you know, sharing her wisdom and everything. But she is also letting them, as you said, put their own stamp on how things are going to go in that respect. So I think that that's what's happening is we need to let them have time for theirs and things of that nature. Now, the other question I've got to ask you is I know when we had the presidential run, it looks like we got Biden against that person that's currently in the office. But you didn't really, you know, you was going to say let it play out, didn't really care. He has said that he's going to meet him Biden. He's going to have a woman as his VP. Now, it seems like some of them have stepped off the playing field. I think uh, Amy has stepped off, um, and a number of the others may have stepped off as well. Do you have one that you would like to see take the role of VP, since he has already said he wants a woman as VP? So do you have anybody in mind of those that you're looking at that you think would be a good one for Mr. Biden? Dean? Dean is pondering. He's trying to think if there's anybody that he really likes that much. No, you know what? <laughs> no, not really. I, I'm still not, and I don't know what happened with this thing here, but as soon as I clicked it, it cut me off. But that's the beauty of this thing that we call live radio, right? Um, right. I'm, still not, I'm still not looking, to be honest with you, because I need to hear what folks are talking about. It's nice to say Oh, you can pick this person. I mean, hell, we look at houses and say, it'd be nice to live in that house. It'd be nice to drive that car. But then when you look at what's realistic, you say, you know what? I, I can't move into that house right there because I don't feel like making that payment or I can't make that payment. I can't drive that car because even though it looks real nice, that premium gas is going to beat me down. So same with these elections. You know, everybody's talking about who should it be, who should it be. Once it's set in stone, I'll start paying attention because all of the what ifs and maybes and coulda, shoulda and should be's 
to me, are wasting my time. Like I said, I, I don't vote until November anyway. Being independent, we don't vote in the primary. So, you know, I'm like, we'll see what happens. We'll see if he names it, you know, and then it could be that talk. So what happens if, if we're talking about what ifs? All of the talk about picking a, a woman vice president and then he changes his mind and picks somebody else, a male or, you know, what happens at that point. Everybody's going to be mad. Everybody's in their feelings. I just want to know, what can you do in reference to taxes, Social Security, education, and and prison reform? Past that, I'm not really, you know, hanging on to every word that's said or every promise that's made because a promise without follow-through is a lie to me. You know, so I'm not I'm not going to sit there and, and stress myself out. I'm going to let them stress. And then I'll vote in November as to who speaks to my better interests. And that's, that's the only thing that I can do. You know, some people are like, oh, we got to get Trump out. We got to do this and we got to do that. But when we look historically... Has there ever been a president that was 100% liked, number one, or a president that fulfilled all of his campaign promises, number two, which is impossible because if Congress doesn't let it fly, it won't get by. So now we have, you know, it has, has the one at 1600 been really worse than Ronald Reagan? Daddy Bush, you know, even Bill Clinton, man, like, has he really been worse than all of them? Or is he more of the same? And that that's the thing that, you know, we need someone who's going to be able to work with Congress to get things done, not work against Congress or Congress working against them to have something that's beneficial for for some of all of us. You know, and that's that's the yeah, that's, hardest part. Yeah, that's the real hard part, and you're absolutely right about that. I just read a post that Carl uh, Kenny, our good friend, put out on his Facebook and everything. He was actually talking about a person that is definitely labeled as one of the worst generals of the Civil War, and he still has major things named after him. Can you guess who that general is? Would that be Robert E. Lee? Close. It is Braxton Bragg. Braxton Bragg, a general oh, okay. is considered the worst general of the Civil War. It is rumored he was born in prison <laughs> after his mother was incarcerated for murdering a free black man. He was so hated, it's alleged his soldiers attempted to assassinate him on two occasions. And he uh, and Carl asked him, did he mention that he owned 105 slaves on his sugar plantation? So then the question that Carl is asking is, why is there a military base, meaning Fort Bragg, and a city mm-hmm. in California named in his honor? And so he then asked the question, could it be Southern white privilege? So definitely that could be a reason that these things are happening. They got that privilege, and they figured that they can name it after somebody that was atrocious. Not just bad, but atrocious. These names weren't new. These names came about. Most of our people were still slaves. So, you know, there was no uh, input. Like, nobody was going to go to the slaves and say, hey, y'all, we think we should name this right here. So it was all what slave masters, uh, plantation owners, 
who became uh, part. They, oh, we have enough people here. We want to incorporate this town. What do we want to name it? Uh, Braxton, you know, or Bragg, or, or whatever. And they just kept adding on for their buddies and their friends. And that's how most of these places got these names. Yeah, that's how they get those names. Folks just were not thinking about that in the least bit. So if you could, I think we're going to try to get you to put it on the spot. I'm going to try to see if I can't track down. I sent him an email. But if you got his number, you want to call him, but I'll call him as well. We'll see if we can't figure <laughs> out where Mr. Uh, um, your buddy is at, uh, Mr. Um, Shelton. See if we can't track him down and get him on the air and everything. But if you want to put on some spots, I'll try to give him a buzz. Uh, maybe you'll try to give him a buzz. But one of us will give him a buzz because I've already sent him <laughs> an email. So if you want to try to give him a call or you want me to give him a call, it's really up to you. But either one um, or maybe we'll both give him a call. We're going to try to find them, but while we're doing that, y'all, it's, it's Straight Talk with Dean and Mark, right? The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train. With our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whiskey, the neighborhood original. Are you looking to make your next event sizzle? Then you want to get in touch with Lee Entertainment. Mark Lee, the founder of Lee Entertainment, has worked with such notable festivals as the Art of Cool, the National Black Theater Festival, the Bull Durham Blues Festival, and the Durham Centerfest, as well as the Festival of the Eno. And definitely can provide you with some great entertainers as well as help you make your event sizzle if you're looking forward to trying to have an event in your town. Mark Lee is willing to travel anywhere in this country to make your event sizzle and has entertainers that are also willing to travel as well. So if you're looking for quality entertainment, definitely get in touch at bluesradio at gmail.com. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Nikki Hall, founder of Simply Radiant LLC, a woman with great passion and skill to make you look and feel better. Meet me where you are. Let's take it to another level, a new you. See you soon. Call 919-971-6243. Make your place today. Nine one one. What is your emergency? My kid shot himself. 
Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. All right, Dean, we're back. Hello? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're back. back. But I was, You're back. Yeah, but okay. I was, I, I was at fault, so that's all right. But we got sheltered all the line. Oh, no. I was, uh, I was supposed to send a follow-up call, and that didn't quite happen. But that's all right. We're going to talk about the Veterans Research so, Center because we got children on the line right now. So we're going to jump onto this conversation. So I will acknowledge when I'm at fault. I was at fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Since, since you were at fault, Mr. Stewart, welcome to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. You're now on the line. Let the people know who you are, where you're calling from, and what you do. What's up, Jim? How you guys doing? Yeah, All my right. name is Sheldon Stewart. I am from Southern New Jersey, and uh, I'm a veteran, and I'm excited to be on your show. Well, we definitely appreciate you being on this show. So tell us about the Veterans Reset Center and what you are doing for the veterans. Because, you know, a lot of people are going through a lot of things because of what's happening with the pandemic, with the economy. We know a lot of people are being hit by the economy, including our veterans. So exactly what does the Veterans Reset Center do? Does it only do it in New Jersey? Do y'all do it around the country? Do you do it around the world? Is there other reset centers that you're in cahoots with and in conjunction with? Tell us about the Veterans Reset Center and who you work with directly and um, how you get folks back into the community. Because, like I said, I know a lot of veterans, whether they have served in the past, because we've had a lot of wars mm-hmm. going, you know, decades and centuries, all the way back to, like, the Civil War and wars way back then. But yeah. definitely we've had veterans that have tried to get back into society. I actually, this is just my personal opinion. I want to know what you think. I think it became even okay. harder for veterans to get acclimated into society once we got into, like, the Vietnam War. And, of course, now we've gone through the um, wars in the Middle East. Of course, we're going through different things that are going on in the world now. But it seems to me that veterans, and maybe the World War II veterans had it hard, too, but no, that would have been my grandparents' age and things of that nature. But it definitely seems to me that ever since the Vietnam War, it became – and maybe it's because we had that whole peace movement that was going on, and a lot of people did not have the same kind of respect for veterans that they used to. But just what is your opinion? Mm-hmm. When did it go get more difficult for veterans to get accepted in society, in your opinion? Okay. Uh, well, let's start back from the beginning. Um, basically, the Veterans Research Center, I, I work for the Department of Veteran Affairs. And as I stated earlier, I'm a veteran. I'm, a, I'm an Army veteran MP Corps. And basically what happened is, is during my time at the, here at the VA, I've noticed there's been an increasing number of homeless veterans. Um, you stated something that is so true. It is extremely hard for veterans when we get out adjusting back to society because we're used to, you know, the uh, strict regimen and the routine of being a military, you know, getting up a certain time, doing this, doing that, you know, your rooms, your bunk's supposed to be a certain way, even even in our houses and stuff, and the way we conduct and, and carry ourselves, you know, in the in the community. And um, I noticed that a lot of veterans, when we get out, we don't know how to adjust. And, you know, being here at the VA, I noticed that the VA, you know, our, our uh, budget 
it's pretty much established by Congress. Congress established how much money we have and what we can spend on, blah, 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 blah. And that's detrimental to the veterans because sometimes, you know, as you guys know, being business owners, you have to allocate your funds to other programs and other avenues, which let other programs, you know, sometimes take a hit. And I've noticed an increasing number of, you know, homeless veterans and veterans without jobs and, you know, veterans getting benefits, but it's not a lot because, you know, because of their conditions, whatever the case may be. So I decided to, you know, start a nonprofit, the Veterans Research Center, like you said, incorporated here in here in southern New Jersey. Um, right now we're only in southern New Jersey for right now. Um, because, you know, we just started up. There was my brainchild that came to me back in uh December of twenty eighteen. Um, right now we're in negotiations with county administrators here in South in South Jersey prior to the pandemic. We were actually in the final phase of negotiations for our first building here in South Jersey. But once the pandemic hit, you know, everyone had to start working from home virtual and stuff. And it also benefited us because, you know, um, you know, we didn't want to bring veterans and, you know, a veteran in that may have had the virus and then other veterans get, you know, get exposed to it. So it actually worked out great. So now we can have the precautions in place, you know, for screening them when they're coming in for our program. And basically our, our program is, um, you know, is very simple. Um, we take uh, homeless veterans and, well, I, I don't like calling them homeless, but we'll call them disenfranchised veterans, and we bring them into the into our facilities. We let them stay there for a period up to six months. During that time in there, we give them job placement training, uh, resume writing skills, you know, uh, computer skills, basically all the tools they need and to find out where do they want to go, where do they want, you know, where do you, you know, what's your goals, what's your aspirations, what type of job do you want? And we try to prepare them for that. So when they're done with the program, we've already worked out a contract with New Jersey HUD down here in South Jersey. When they're done with the program, they can walk out into a job, you know, we'll, we'll help them, you know, with their, you know, with the job, um, you know, job honey and get them a job. And then through New Jersey HUD, they'll be able to get themselves, you know, their own apartment, their own place, and they can get back into society as functioning citizens. We're also going to extend services to veterans that would be getting out of the military um, because one thing you may realize is that when we veterans get out of the military, the biggest problem is is translating our military skill to to our civilian counterparts. If I'm sitting up there and I'm talking about, you know, I'll use myself as an example, MP, I'm talking about BIP escorts and POW missions and uh, nuclear security and physical security and all that stuff. How does that equate to the civilian? They're like, okay, what in the world is he talking about? And if I want to be a cop, they're going to be like, okay, well, we don't do that. That's what security guards is for. But I have to translate all my military experience into civilian. A lot of us don't know how to do it. I mean, we really don't. You know, you can have somebody that's a computer tech in the military, um, is the equivalent to an IT specialist in the civilian sector, and they don't know how to translate their experience to their counterpart in the civilian sector, and they can they get frustrated because they get denied a job like I did, you know, 15 years of this, and this isn't right. You know, how is this happening? And then you look at the resume and be like, well, sir, you know, sergeant or whomever, well, they don't know what this means. But no one taught them how to translate that to civilian language. So, you know, we're also going to, you know, catch them veterans when they're coming out within 12 months of discharge and let them start working on the resumes right now, get them squared away. So when they walk off that base and they have their 214 and their retirement papers or whatever discharge papers in their hands, that they can walk right into a job. They have a job lined up. They're good to go. They start networking. They start building bridges, as we call it, in one of my organizations. 
and and keep on building them bridges and you know you know cross on over into civilian life and don't lose any you know don't lose any income don't um don't make a you know make a um, what's the word I'm looking for you don't want it to be a, a a detriment to the family structure because you know as we all know money is one of the biggest problems and you don't want to go from being an E7 making a certain amount of income to walking out to no job or you're making barely minimal wage because no one taught you how to do your resume, do it the right way. Now the family's impacted. So we're going to try our best to do everything we can with that as well. Now, another thing you said that is so, so right on point is like you did the research, which I'm glad you did um, prior, prior to this call. It is very, very hard. Um, the uh, World War II veterans, they're what, what we call the proud generation. They were proud to serve, you know, of course, fighting, you know, the Axis powers and everything. They were proud to serve, and they came home. And you and we don't have, you know, too much with the, you know, here at the VA. We don't have too much with them because, you know, they were the proud generation. They were the generation, you know, America through and through. We, you know, we fought the Nazis. We won. We fought, we, we fought oppression, blah, 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 blah. And then just like what you said earlier, Vietnam had changed. Because as as we all know, we we all study history. Our brothers and sisters came home from Vietnam. They were spit on. A lot of people didn't agree with the war. They didn't agree with Johnson and Nixon and sending the troops over there to fight across seas in a war when we had problems here at home. A lot of people didn't didn't agree with that. And then it trickles on down to today, even with the you know global war on terror and you know doing when I served doing you know Desert Storm. A lot of people don't agree with that because we have problems here at home. And we're not even fixing our own problems, and we're going over there. Now, the one thing I will say is is that veterans getting out today, there's more there's more respect for the flag. It's like, you know, when you tell someone you served, they're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, blah, blah, blah. No, it wasn't easy. But, you know, like you stated earlier, the Vietnam veterans, when they got out, they were like, you know, beta killer and all that, all you know, racist and all this stuff and all, all the terms and spit on that they were when they came back home. But people didn't understand these men and women were just doing their job, whether they agree with it or not. That's And that's the one thing with the military. Whether we agree with it or not, we have to do our job, but we also have an avenue to voice our, you know, our discontent with the decision. But we have to, you know, you have to do it in a proper way. So everything you just said was right on point. It It, it, it is harder, and it's even harder today, like I stated earlier, when we get out because we're such a technology-based environment. That you know, when I got out back in '97, we were still making that transition. Now we're getting now it's like everything's computer. You gotta have something in computers. Like being an MP today, when I got out years, you know, uh, I hate to age myself, but getting out over 20 years ago, when you got out, you know, I was an MP. Okay, I could walk into the police academy. Now, no, you gotta have computer skills. You gotta have this. You gotta have that. You gotta have that extra skill set so you can walk into these jobs. So you have to pick up other things, and it's harder. And I can understand why so many veterans, you know, are becoming homeless because no one is no one is teaching them. And then even the ones that, um, you know, from the Vietnam era, a lot of them that are homeless, they're in that situation because of the atrocities of war. It's a shame to say this, but a lot of our homeless veterans are combat veterans because they can't adjust because the VA can only, the VA's maxed out in their resources, and now it's time for society to step in and take over. You know, the old saying, it takes a village to raise a child, was the same thing. It takes a village to, uh, you know, welcome a veteran back because the veteran, he or she went out and fought for you. Now they're back home. Show show some appreciation. Help them. Help them get back on their feet. They might be a combat veteran. They might hear a car backfire and have a relapse. 
You know, we don't know. No one knows what we have went through, and it just seems like society just thrusts us off to the side, and I can't, you know, I couldn't in my heart keep climbing up the VA ladder and keep doing the things I'm doing through my organization and see my veterans on the side saying, need help, this, this, and this, and just tear my heart apart, but yet and still we're worried about building a wall down in Mexico or we're worried about, you know, six people coming up with the coronavirus, and you're like, wait a minute, but hold up. You still got veterans sitting out there that need help. You know, you can kill two birds with one stone, prioritize, take care of home first, and then take care of everything else. And home is the veterans, and, the, you know, and we need help, and we're crying for it, and we need our politicians to start paying attention. Yeah, it sounds like y'all definitely need to get the politicians more involved and things of that nature. I know that you told me that you're actually thinking about running for office at some point, and we'll talk about that as well. But you brought up something that I really found interesting, and I've had this conversation with some friends of mine, some that even do, like, gang intervention and things of that nature. And that's that whole concept of, you know, we're having all this thing because of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter about police brutality and things of that nature. Now, we do know that sometimes people that are coming from the military are trying to get into the police force. Now, there's the thought that some of the people that are police officers are ex-military and that they weren't necessarily trained in how to do police work. So they become police officers and maybe they learn certain things, but they still have some of that military mindset. And this might be some of our white officers or some of the white police officers that have this mindset. But mm-hmm. I guess it could be even some of the brothers and sisters as well. But what are some of your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Have you seen that in your own life that some of these people are coming from military backgrounds and they might have been MPs and then they try to join the police force, but they still have some of those things that were taught in a different environment? Because, I mean, like if you're in the heat of a war, doing policing in that kind of environment is going to be much different than trying to do it in a neighborhood, whether that's in Camden, whether that's in Durham, whether that's in the Watts over there in California or wherever it might be here in the United States. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you said that because it's disheartening and it breaks my heart. You know, somebody who's getting ready to run for public office, you know, I have to be careful, you know, with my posts and things that I say because, you know, I need the people's votes, you know, to help make change. And it breaks my heart because a lot of them, are former military police officers, and um, I'll share a little insight. You know, back in the 90s when I was in, um, we were, you know, certain um, military police officers were selected to go to the academy, to the state police academies, and learn about policing. We know about policing. We know about patrolling. um, We know about, you know, um, um, security. We know about apprehension. We know about levels of force. All that stuff is the same stuff that's taught in the – you know, in the military academy, the one I went to was in Fort McCullen, Alabama. Now I believe it's in Fort uh, uh, Leavenworth, Kansas. But to any event, it saddens me and breaks my heart because that's not taught in the military. That's not taught in the military. In the military, when we go through our military police training and everything, we are taught um, basically there is no cover. You know, I've had quite a few incidents. You know, it's 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 always funny when you're talking about uh, military police because it's generally Marines. I've had quite a few incidents with you know with Marines. You know, having to calm them down and everything. Great, great men and women. You know, definitely. But the thing is, is we're not taught color. We're taught, you know, there, there's a there's an agitator. We need to squash it. If there's a violator of a crime, we need to go ahead and you know enforce the law there. The problem is, is this stuff that's going on today is not taught in any academy. This stuff that's going on today, it's what's in them. It's what's in them. And I know, you know, not to uh, be um, on one side or the other, uh, the sad part is, is that this is what they're being taught 
when they get to their home duty station. So you can have someone say the conversation take out in, um, you know, uh, Tabernacle, North Dakota or whatever, and they go to the, you know, they just got a police, out of the police academy and they're going to their duty station. Their duty station, when they get there, those veteran officers are the ones that's telling them this, this, and this. I've had plenty of conversations with a deputy sheriff down here in South Jersey, and he tells me all the time, they're telling these rookies that because the rookies always get assigned to, you know, a quote-unquote veteran officer. That veteran officer, he or she is teaching them and telling them, okay, this, this, and this. Don't go to this house. Don't go there. Don't go that. Yeah, that guy there, he always does this, this, and this. You know, them, them. They're, you know, they're the gangs and this, this, and this. Now, now, don't get me wrong. We do, we do have gangs in the military. It's just not as prevalent. But when you're in the civilian sector, they know all this stuff. They know, okay, that one's this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, blah, blah, blah. And they teach them that stereotype. That's being taught at their at their home duty station. This isn't something in the academy. Now, you and I, you know, all three of us know, and our listeners probably know that you know a lot of this stuff is also taught growing up. You know, they tell you. Don't don't mess with this type of person, you know. And once you once you see this, you know, well that's what they're like, and this this and this. It's like even even in the in the, in the uh, black race, it's like you know, um, like that movie School Days where they had uh, what was it, the Jigaboo and the wannabes and stuff. We have yep. it even within our own race, and we always stereotype and think, well, you know, you want to be like me and this this this, and it's like why? Where does all this come from? And Spike Lee made light of it, but he was telling the truth that we're our worst enemy. We society is their worst enemy, and they're teaching this stuff in the home. Then when you get in the military, the military breaks you of that stuff, but then you get back out, and especially in law enforcement, when you get to the academy and you've done the academy and you go to the duty station, they're reinforcing it back to you. So it does break my heart to see so many of these officers, they are veterans. They know there is no color. I watch so many specials where veterans said, I didn't know color when I was, and I'm talking about Vietnam veterans and Desert Storm veterans, you know, saying we didn't, we didn't see this. We don't know where this is coming from. This is this because it's being taught. It's the attitude of America and this society that has been awakened, that's been dormant for years. We all got yeah. relaxed when Obama got in office and served his two terms, and now that spirit has been awakened, and now everyone's running for the hills saying, what do we do? What do we do? Well, you need to start with first things first. What's, it, what's your house? One, two, three, some street in some town, USA. That's where you need to start. In your house first, you teach your kids what's right and wrong. And, you know, not to go biblical, but, you know, do unto others that you want to do unto you, you know, and that's what they need to start doing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the other yeah. thing that I know that has really come up in a lot of the conversation, and I was just wondering what your thoughts on this are and everything, is I know a lot of times people are talking about there's this whole movement I know here in Durham, we've had it in Minnesota, this whole concept of defunding the police. Now, when I hear that term, I think what they're really trying to say is to loosen up the funding in terms of major amounts of, like, the cost of the building and also some of these military-style equipment. Because I do know that some of the police departments are getting, like, military-style equipment. And some of the people in these cities, whether it's Durham, whether it's D.C. or whatever, are trying to figure out, like, why do we need a tank? Why do we need some of this equipment that is more known as a military kind of equipment? So I was just wondering what some of your thoughts are when you hear people talking about maybe – scaling back on some of the funding of the police and things of that nature, and particularly some of the military-style equipment that is being provided to our police forces. 
Well, I think, honestly, from what I've been studying, this is the first turn to a military state. They want everything to be controlled by the state, and that's where they're wrong. Um, they they want, you know, just like here in New Jersey, they, they became the police force. I'm sure everybody knows about it, so I can use them as an example. They, they you know, uh, defunded the Camden Police Force and made it now under the Camden County Police. So now the county controls that. So now that's the, so basically it's the state funds now. It's not the city no more. It's the state funds. They're trying to make it, mili- you know, a military state that they have, you know, judge, jury, and executioner. And I think that's the wrong thing to do. That's the wrong thing to do because once you get into something like that, where's your rights and benefits right there? Where is your sense of pride? Because if the state says that we can do A, B, C, D, that comes from the state. That comes from the state now. It's not county now. I mean, I mean uh, a city. Now it comes from the state, and that opens up a serious can of worms. You know, people are asking for them to do this and do that. What mom, what the mom and dad always tell us: be careful what you wish for, because they want them to defund the Minnesota. You know, uh, out there in uh, Minnesota, want to defund them, and down to where you're at. I'm just telling people: think about what you're saying, because once the state gets in control. There is nothing you can do about it. All, excuse my French, all hell is going to break loose. And and as far as the military style equipment, no, I don't see no need. I I didn't like that even out there in uh, Los Angeles with the O.J. Simpson case and everything when they had them them tanks out there. I don't see no need for the police to have tanks and this this and this and all that stuff. That's why you got the National Guard. Now they can have the Kevlar equipment, you know, SWAT and stuff like that because as we do know, we're not naive situations do happen and you're going to need that extra equipment. But as far as military grade, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, weapons you know, uh, um, M16 no, you don't need all that stuff. No, no, no. You are the police. You're not the military. But remember, if they defund it, now it's state. So now it's state. What does that mean? Now they can get that military-grade stuff. So I, I, I see what they're doing, and I, and I hear people saying, you know, no, 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 no. And I'm like, I'm telling you, be careful what you ask for, because once you get the states involved, we, we all know that. History has shown us. Once you get the states involved, you're in the world of trouble. And now the states can make their own rules as long as it doesn't violate the United States Constitution. They can, you know, and you, and, and you know how, how attorneys are. They know how to take a word and be like, but it says but, but it says and, and it says with. And they'll and, and take a little word to justify their actions on what they did. So I, I, think, I think that it's, it's a terrible move. I don't agree with defunding. They need to leave it under the control of the cities because when you leave it under the control of the cities, they can control their supply and demand like that, and you won't see all this military great stuff. But once you go to the, once you go to a county like here in Jersey, now the county is under the state. Now that opens the door to all more of that stuff. Now, now, now you guys tell me and the listeners, what the reason would you have to have a tank on the police force? Ain't that, ain't that yeah. many people in the, in, the, in the United States that got mansions like that to want a tank? Why do you need a tank on the, on the police force? Why do you need an M16 on the police force? Really? I mean, yeah, drug dealers just dismissed. Well, I thought y'all were getting the guns off the street. What happened with that? So, you know, they're, they're going to justify why they get this military-style equipment. But then your turn, then, but then the people, and the people need to make their voice be heard. The people need to turn around and say, well, I thought y'all took care of that. Y'all had to, you know, uh, no no ass, just drop off your weapons, no ass, this, this, and this. I thought y'all cleaned that up. 
or got the majority of them off off the street. Now you're telling us <laughs> that they're back <laughs> on the street. So what did you do with all those other weapons? By a lot of
Um, but as far as your, you know, your other part with the uh, coronavirus, yes, I've been, I've been blessed. Um, I, I have, I've been protected. My social distancing has been excellent. I haven't even, I haven't even invited my dean over my house yet, and he should have been the first one. So I'm, uh, I'm being good, you know. And every, everybody knows where, you know, a few people that yeah. have come over. Yo, the hand sanitizer right there. Yo, bathroom. Nope, nope, nope. Bathroom first, and then we sit down and I'm chopping up. Then when they leave, I make sure I wipe everything down. I mean, not saying I don't trust them, but you don't know because no one knows, right. you know, that they is respiratory, right? So if it's respiratory, then that means it's in the air. So no mm-hmm. one truly knows what the cause is or where it came from. You know, they're all, they're, you know, they they always want to put a label on something. They want to say, oh, it came from the Chinese. Just like back in the 80s, AIDS came from uh, blacks. You know, and monkey. Right. Don't nobody know where this stuff came from, but they want to attribute it to something because it always does what it boosts their cause. It boosts what they are standing for. You know what they're fighting against, and people rally right on behind. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've 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 been blessed. I've been uh, keeping in touch with my two children, my, my daughter in Florida, my son in Texas, and and, and I talk to them every week. I I just tell them, hey, look, where you going? What you doing? Where you been? Blah blah blah. Do you got masks? Blah blah blah. This this and this. And and you know. And I'm keeping them on you know on on top of that. As far as the military, they've shut down the bases, so you can't even get on the bases. So I mean, I'm I'm a veteran, and you know, as I said earlier, and I can get on the base, you know, anytime I want. They've closed the base off to anybody that's not on active duty status. So you can't even get on the base. If you're not on the base, you ain't getting on the base. So I do like what they're doing. And it's funny to hear you mention that because what the Navy did to that um, captain of that ship, um, in my opinion, was just a disgrace. You know, the one thing they tell us, especially, you know, when you're when you're non-commissioned officer, that's when you reach the rank of E5 and above. And when you're a officer, you know, when you come out fresh as an 01, they tell you it's the troops first. It's always the troops first. So this man went out there and he pleaded with, you know, with the with the government, basically. We need help. I got 80-some sailors infected. I need help here. You know, we're all about to die. And then they reinstate them and now they fire them. Now they fire him. I mean, they didn't even reassign him. They fired him. So they're forcing him into retirement for what the creed is of the troops or for the troops. So where did that man go wrong? So as far as that aspect is concerned, the military completely dropped the ball on that because that man should not have been, have been, been relieved of his command. They should have brought the resources in and got that shit cleaned up and got them sailors the help that they needed. What they did to that man was a disgrace. I don't agree with the military on that part, but as far as everything else they're doing it and, and and keeping in contact as a, at a minimum, I do agree with that a thousand percent. You know, I mean, I really have no need to go up on the base anyway, unless I want to go to the class six, and I don't drink like that no more, so I don't need to go up on the base for that. But um, nah, it's it's um, it's it's very disheartening. Um, you know, with him, but I do like I do like what they're doing, and they're keeping the and they're keeping the troops, you know, protected because at any second anybody around the world can act up, and our troops got to go. You got to make sure that they're always in what we call one of my organizations, fighting trim. They they always got to they always got to be in shape. So you know, I definitely agree with them on that. That makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the other things that I've heard people talking about is this whole concept. I've got a good friend, and he's actually on the show before, Captain Newborn, and no, Captain is just his first name, not even the ranking that he actually held and everything, but I think he had some folks that served in the military some time back, but he's got a group called Next Level Veterans, 
and they've done some uh, advocacy work for the veterans. And I know that he's always complained about he felt that not enough of the veterans were getting help from the VA, and that a lot of the statistics that he was getting from the VA were really troubling to him in terms of, like, the kind of help that they were getting from mental health and some of the other things that were going on. As one who was involved in that work in there in New Jersey, what is your take on that? Do you think that we're doing enough in terms of helping our veterans as they come back, whether it's through um, mental health or through some of their physical health or through some of the things of that nature? Because, like I said, I know that um, – Captain Newborn has been on this show before, and he talked about that. And then we've done, like, some shows of traveling around the state of North Carolina. And I think he may have even done some speaking outside of the state of North Carolina where he talked about not on his watch that he would like to see more of these kind of things that he has seen that he's concerned about not happen. And he has some statistics that are not coming to my head right now off the top of my head. But I know that there were some very startling statistics, and this was even before corona hit and everything. So I'm just wondering, how do you think we're doing in terms of treating our veterans, in your opinion, as you have been working with them for a number of years and being a veteran yourself? Well, I'll throw you one stat out. Uh, Two out of five veterans commit suicide a day. So I'll let that sink in for a second. Because the thing is, it's like what I said earlier, and I try, you know, I, I love the VA. I've been there for almost 10 years. Um, it's an excellent company to work for, an excellent agency. But everyone keeps blaming the VA. And every time when I go out for these veteran um, outreach events, I try to tell them it's not the VA. Congress sets our budget. If Congress only get if, – if, if they give you let's, – let's just keep it in simple terms. If they give you a dollar – and you know you got five programs, but you got to spread that dollar out between all five programs as best you can, and you got to prioritize the ones over the others and this, this, this. What are you going to do? Now, it's a, it's, it's a shame um, that a lot isn't allocated into mental health, but I can't sit back and have people keep using the VA as an excuse. You have state mental health. If you have a mental health problem and it's attributed and it's attributed to the military, and you can't get in to see your counselor, stay for three months, nothing is stopping you from contacting your state. All up and down New Jersey, I mean, all up and down 295 here in southern New Jersey, there are billboards up for mental health, addiction, uh, social problems, this, this, and this, all stuff. Contact, you know, crisis lines and this, this, and this. The advertisements are out there. Maybe people just aren't looking at them because they're driving too fast or something. I don't know. But the advertisements are up there. Even even uh, 45, in his wisdom, um, he even signed an executive order for, you know, more resources for mental health because he sees one of the things he, he, he did see correctly. He does see that there is a problem with mental health in our country at this time, and it needs to be addressed. But, but back to your point about the VA, people have to stop saying the VA, the VA, the VA. If you got five counselors and you got – what what does use here in the tri-state area? You got um, say say there's a clinic here, and they got five counselors, and and with those five counselors, they will say for conversation, fifteen hundred veterans with diagnosed mental health conditions. How are how is he or she supposed to get that in if the VA is only giving them a certain amount, this this and this? And most of the counseling sessions, you know, I, I have my counselors. Most of the counseling sessions don't last an hour. They're actually longer than that, depending on what the topic is that day. So how are they supposed to do that? How are they supposed to do that if the budget is required for just this clinic, the budget is only allocated for five mental health counselors? 
What are they supposed to do? That's where I think, to me, the VA needs to reach out to the state and, and tell the state, hey, can you help us out with this? We have so many veterans coming back from the war with mental health issues. It's overwhelming us. Can you help us out? Sorry, I dropped my phone. Um, they can they can say, can you help us out? Can you start taking on some of our, our veterans and, uh, you know, just keep us abreast of the mental health treatments and this, this, and this, and just transfer it over because everybody knows it's a click of a button. So once they put their treatment in the system, they can hit a button and transfer it over, over to the VA. You know, I mean, it's, it's so people, we have a poem called Excuses, and I'm sure your listeners already know about that poem, so we'll just leave it alone. But it's like people are making excuses for everything, and it's like, when are you going to stop making excuses and look in the mirror? Okay, yeah, Congress set the VA budget at $15 billion. Okay, the VA had to spread that out over all their agencies and all their clinics. Now they're tapped out. Not to mention, and that's just getting the resources to the clinic and the regional offices. Don't forget, you also got to pay people in this overtime because there's an increase in claims now. Because veterans, as you know, like you said earlier, a lot of them are getting out. A lot of the Vietnam veterans are now filing their claims. A lot of the surviving World War II veterans that are in their 80s and 90s, they're coming and filing claims. The claims uh, uh, um, um, you know, pool has increased. So with that increase, you're going to need more money, but Congress isn't doing that, and they're not giving the VA the money, so what's the VA supposed to do? So this is where the states, if, if, uh, if our Governor Murphy is listening, this is where he needs to step in. He needs to reach out or have his, his uh, a lieutenant governor or whomever reach out to the VA and be like, hey, what can we do to help? Can you start sending some of your veterans, you know, we'll take some of your veterans at our state-funded, you know, mental health facilities, and we'll transfer your records and this, this, and this, and help get them along. There are so many things that we can do, but everyone's pointing at one thing, the VA, the VA, the VA. I mean, I remember, you know, when I when I talk to veterans and I ask them about their claim and this, this, and this, and then, and then when you look at the claim, you find out, no, that wasn't the VA, that was you. Why didn't you send the form back? Oh, I didn't know what it was. Well, why didn't you read it? Oh, I just swallowed up with something. I just threw it away. Well, no wonder why you ain't going to get it. Why didn't Why didn't you contact your doctor? Oh, I didn't know. I thought you all did it. No, you got to go to your doctor. You know, so it's a, it's a two-way street. So, you know, the veterans got to seek out for help. They come to the VA and seek out for help. We thank you. The VA is overbooked or, 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 and, and they don't have, have enough people on board to take care of their veterans. That's when you, we should refer them to the state mental health facilities and let them start getting treatment. There is no excuse on God's green earth for a, a veteran or any human being to not have access to mental health resources. And I can't buy it. I can't buy it. And no one can tell me. That, I'm, I'm sorry. Go, no, go ahead, you say, I can definitely understand that. I was also wondering, now you mentioned earlier about how hard it is for the veterans and how many veterans are also homeless. And I know that there's a, a decent amount of homeless people even here in Durham where I'm at. I've actually was out. Um, walking early to get some food, and I saw one of the guys that um, I believe is homeless, and I know there's another guy that I did not see this time, but I usually do see him, and there's no doubt that he is homeless, and I believe he served in one of the veteran kind of uh, roles as well. But just tell me why you think that that is, because it seems to me 
that that should be the first group that we would want to house is the people that have served our country and have done this kind of work for us. But just what, how bad is the homeless problem there in the New Jersey area? And if you can speak to New York, that would be great too. But um, also just if you have any statistics on the country, if you know any of those, but how bad is the veteran homeless population? Because it seems to me that every time I turn around, I'm running across veterans that are homeless and sometimes you know, Dean can speak to this as well. Sometimes, unfortunately, they also get in, caught up in the criminal system and wind up getting into our prisons. But um, just if you can speak to a little bit of that as to how deep the problem is with our veterans and the homeless population. All right. Well, the, you you open up a can of worms with that prison uh, topic because that has be, become a problem as well. But I'm glad you you asked about the um, the statistics. I happen to have one of my uh, company's pamphlets in my hand, and um, this is as of two, 2019, the National Alliance to End Homelessness said that over 610,042 people experience homeless on any given night in the United States. And then it states just here in New Jersey alone, um, there's a 8.5% increase in homeless veterans here in New Jersey alone. And that's coming from information that I got from the National Alliance to End Homelessness. And back in um, uh, the, 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 the stat before that, it shows in fiscal year 2016, there were 583 reported veterans in New Jersey. And that's an increase of 4.8% in 2016 with 400,000 veterans residing in New Jersey. Now, mind you, the key word in there is reported. A lot of veterans that are homeless, no one knows about. There are so many veterans out there that are homeless that no one knows about. You know, they don't, you know, they didn't identify themselves as a veteran or this, this, and this. And as you know, veterans, we are we are proud people. You know, no matter what our discharge was, we are proud people and we don't want to, you know, and, and uh, you know, we like to keep stuff, play, you know, play it close to your chest, you know. Like in the military, we have that camaraderie where I'm going to tell, you know, my, you know, my, my private or this or, or my senior NCO, this and this because we have the relationship. Now I'm in this civilian sector. I don't know you. I remember when I bought my house last year uh, down here in South Jersey, my neighbor across the street, you know, was kind of hesitant to introduce himself. But once we identified ourselves as both Army veterans, he, he's like one of my best friends visits me and, and you know, and, and we talk and everything. But it's a, it's, it's a terrible stat, but it goes back to the preparation of our veterans prior to them getting out. I remember when I got out, and this is no lie, I'm sure some of you listening can even back me on this. When I got out, they gave me a DD-214, my medal, and a handshake and said, thanks for your service. Now, what wow. I know now, when I, what I know now, I would have planned my discharge, you know, definitely uh, planned, you know, my, my after action after discharge, you know, a year in advance. But I didn't know. I just knew I was going to, you know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a cop. I wanted to be a cop. I wanted to be a cop. And I was out testing and testing, but I didn't start testing until four months before I got out. So that was my fault. But no, no one sat down and talked to me and said, you know, what's your career goals once you get out? What is it you want to do? You know, blah, blah, blah. And prepared me for that. They just gave me a 214 my medals, a handshake, and said, thanks for your service. I was like, wow, ain't this something. And now, and, you know, with that being said, you know, that's why I'm even more adamant to catch my, my fellow veterans before they walk off some bases because they need to know you need to start planning now. If you're getting out in December of this year, 
you should have started planning in December of last year. You need to, you should have start you should have started networking and reaching out and find out what you want to do. Go to counseling services. You know, uh, once we get our building up and running, you can contact us. Come on down, and we'll you know I, I have uh, you know social workers that'll be able to work with you and and work out what we call IDP, which is the Individual Development Plan, and they'll sit down and work with you and start building on bridges to reach out to these to these various companies and these contracts that are quote unquote veteran friendly. So you can walk into a job and this, this, and this. But it's so sad. And then when you talked about earlier, a few minutes ago, about the prison, this is why so many veterans are committing crimes, because they're frustrated. They get out. They can't find a job. They they get a job at Wawa or the gas station or at the supermarket, and they feel it's beneath them. A lot of them don't walk off the base retired. I have uh, my uh, my first sergeant. He retired from the Air Force. I'm Army. I just call him my first sergeant because, you know, he was an E-8. But uh, he he retired, and he worked for the VA. He retired from the VA as well. And now he works for Home Depot, and he's happy. And he's happy. But these veterans coming out, you you, you get these veterans get coming out today, they, they work at work at who, Home Depot? Oh, I don't think so. Walmart? Well, I don't think so. So what are you going to do to prepare to get that job that you want? Did you go to school? A lot of them, a lot of them do take college courses, okay? But did you walk off that base with your degree? Did you do that part, okay? Now you know that you want to be in conversation, say, uh, communications, okay? So now now you got your degree in, you know, communications, you know, for your 10 years you were in. Have you reached out to anybody for a job? Have you reached out to, multi, you know, media companies or, or well, print? Print is still around. Have you reached out to the newspapers, news outlets, this, this? What did you do? Oh, I didn't know. And and that's a fault of the military as well because your counselors aren't aren't doing prepping us for when we walk off that base. Or you know, it, and, and it, it's everyone's hands in the cookie jar. It isn't just the oh. veterans. The veterans are fifty percent of it. And, and and we and we can't sugarcoat it. I'm sure my listeners, I mean your listeners, would agree. You can't sugarcoat it. The veterans, it is our responsibility. We have 50% of responsibility, but the rest of it, they can help prepare us to get there. The military can help us with our, our processing. They can start and they can hit us up, you know, when within, within 12 months of discharge. Hey, you, are you re-enlisting? No? Okay, let's start working on your, on, on your next career. What's your goals? What's your dream? Did, did you finish up your your degree? Okay, you're married with a family. Have you thought about where you're going to stay? And, and that's another, uh, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I have noticed there's been an increase of homeless veterans with families. So now you got a veteran who's homeless, and he's got his wife and his two or three children staying with her sister or their parents or whatever the case may be. How 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 does that happen? Because they you know one they didn't plan, and then two the military didn't help them to plan. Then when they got out, they thought, hey, it's going to be easy or to get out with a severance or their retirement. And then they realized, well, shoot, on the base, I was staying for free. Yeah, now you got to pay rent. Now you got to pay rent on the mortgage. Now you got to do this. Now you got to do that. Okay, yeah, you ain't got commissary right now because you're not service-connected with the VA. So guess what? You got to start going to ShopRite and Acme. You got to start doing these other things that they never thought about because nobody prepared them for it, and, and then it's a it's a shock to their system. Then they get frustrated because they're working. They're, you know, uh, uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a an E six from the army, you know, and and I'm up here working at Wawa. You know, I should be doing this. But then the question is, well, well, what did you do? What did you do prior to you getting out? Now you're out. Now what are you doing? 
you 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 gonna stand here at the pump as a gas attendant complaining, or you gonna go to school, or you gonna do whatever you have to do to get the job you're looking for to improve your life. Stop with the excuses. So you know we veterans, like I said, we have fifty percent of that, and and um, you know my my fellow veterans that are homeless, it could be mental health, you know whatever the reason is, they're homeless, and we have responsibility as society to get them back on their feet. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We definitely have that responsibility and everything. I was just wondering, um, I remember, and of course it said, I came up in the uh, in high school in the late 70s and college in the early 80s. And during that time, there was that whole, you know, be all you can be kind of mentality. So it was uh, join the veterans, uh, become in the military because it's going to help you travel the world. You're going to get to see the world and things of that nature. It was almost like an alternative to the college lifestyle you know if you couldn't make it to college for whatever reasons you didn't have the grades you didn't have whatever but you didn't necessarily want to go to community college the military was the third option it was a way to see the country and possibly also get out there and see the world is that still the way that the society is advertising to get into the military because like i said I don't really pay that much attention to TV the way that I probably should, but if, and I don't definitely don't have any immediate kids. I do have two nephews that are 11 and 12, so I know in a few years you know, the, the recruiters will start coming to see them, oh, yeah. both the college recruiters, and I imagine the military recruiters as well. But I'm just saying, what is the pitch that they are getting folks to go into the military? Because like I said, when I was growing up, it was you know that whole you, maybe you didn't have the grades if you were in high school to or maybe you were an athlete and didn't have the you were didn't have quite the skills to get the athletic scholarship so they they sold it to you as a way to see the world and a lot of people bought into that but i don't know how they are advertising the military now with so much that's going on in the world just as a veteran advocate what how are they advertising to get people into the military in your mind and is it an effective method to do that well the one thing is um you are correct. I, too, was a victim of the uh, be-all-you-can-be and, you know, and the glitz and glamour, the uniform and all that stuff. Nowadays, uh, especially with the Army, is Army strong. Go Army strong. So, and and they show, you know, of course, you know, they're probably actors, but they show, you know, them, you know, uh, um, you know, on the ships, you know, the Navy full steam ahead or something like that now. Show them on the ship and how nice it is, you know. You know, just like you said, seeing the country staying in uniform, looking nice in your in your dress greens and all that stuff. Just like the Marine Corps, you know, they always show them. You know, they've been showing them a little bit, going through a little bit of training and stuff, but they always show you finally in that uniform and making you feel proud. You know, desiring to put on that uniform. Um, it it. It's just change, changing the trends with the, you know, with with some society. It's a marketing strategy because um, I'm sure you'll probably, you know, start taking notice um, with the commercials. They're putting more into the cyber, the cyber side of the house, fight cyber terrorism, you know, with the drones, you know, with them with them flying the drones and everything, and um, you know, fight um, computer viruses and stuff working behind the computer. So now. Now you you still see some of the snippets, you know, with them going through training and, and everything, but you see a lot more of the snippets with them sitting behind a desk and this, this, and this. So at the same time, they are saying, showing the military as going to a cyber military and, you know, you, you, you know, quote, unquote, you may not see the front line, but you can tell a man um, coming in military as an infantryman that because he knows he's going to be on the front line. You know, I think, you know, uh, 
we they always you know and it's simple marketing. They always want to show the glitz and glamour, but they don't want to show you the reality of when you get you know when you get through you know how to get to the glitz and glamour. Yeah, yeah, you won't see the world. I saw the world. You know, it's a small place and it's a beautiful place, but it's like you know it's like what did I have to give up to see the world? You know, I gave up the potential of you know, getting a scholarship at UConn and going to college and playing football and this, this, and this to go into the military. Best, best experience of my life. Taught me to grow up. It taught me to be self, self-dependent. self But look at all, all I gave up. And that's the one thing the military doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, tell these new recruits. Look at what you're giving up. I mean, to me, going to a kid who just, who's graduating on a Friday, party with his friends on Saturday and reporting to boot camp on Monday, that's a disgrace because you just, he just lost some of you know, some of the best times I did graduating high school and celebrating it. But, you know, the recruiter sold it on him and this business. Mom and dad signed off because chances are they were probably seventeen years old. Mom and dad signed off and bam, did they did they go off to um to um boot camp. So, I mean, it it's it, it's it's marketing. I see what they're doing. They're showing the glitz and glamour of it, cyber technology, drones and all this stuff, computer fighting war games and all that stuff. Well, I hate to tell them, but a drone isn't isn't fighting the war. A drone is not going to fight the war. Sitting there behind a computer screen, putting out, uh, you know, getting the targets and everything, and dropping bombs on targets. Yeah, that's beautiful. But guess what? You need foot soldiers going there and clean up. And that's where the trauma starts. That's where the trauma starts because don't nobody want to walk up on a site and you see, you know, bodies and the casualties of that bomb being dropped. That's the stuff that they're not telling people. You're also not telling them when you get out, you probably will have mental health conditions because the stuff you see stay with you for the for the rest of your life. So I mean, like like I said, it's 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 a uh, it's marketing strategy. I can understand, but I wish they would, you know, they would just be. Be more more upfront and real with it that basic training is not for everybody. Basic training is probably worse than any football camp you ever go through or any sporting camp that you will go through in your life. It is it is eight weeks of hell. Excuse my French, but that's what it is, okay? And, and, and if you can make it through basic training, then the military is for you. And, and, I, and I wish, you know, they would stop, you know, with the uniforms and this is, yeah, the uniform looks great, but guess what? When I'm 30 years old, I ain't wearing a uniform. No, I'm not even going to fit it. <laughs> I, I donated it by to the goodwill. I can't even fit it. I just get my medal. So why do I need the uniform for? So it was like, okay, yeah, I wore the uniform. Even if you wore it for uh, 25 years and you retired, guess what? You ain't still, and I mean, and as you retired like General Maddox and you're still wearing your uniform, chances are you ain't wearing no Colin Powell ain't wearing his uniform no more. So it's like when the uniform is off, that's okay. These these are memories now. But what did he have to get? What did he have to give up? And what did he go through to get all that rank and all the medals and to get that uniform? That's it. There's always a story behind that, and that's what needs to be told. Yeah, because the other thing I wonder sometimes is if we don't get too caught up with the whole militarization of, like, our video games and stuff like that. Like I said, my younger brother, and I only have one brother, but my brother is totally into video games. And I know a lot of times, like I said, he went to college. He did the long college plan and everything. He did not do the military. I have cousins that did the military. But um, that, that being said, sometimes when I watch those video games, I'm going, like, good grief. I mean, they're definitely putting this glamorization of what you're doing. But, of course, you know, you can kill that person in the game, and that person's going to walk back up in the next game. With, in real life, that ain't yeah. gonna happen. 
Well, see, well, see, and I'm glad you you said that because me and Dean had this conversation uh, quite quite a long time ago. America has taught us to be violent. Our society has taught us to be violent. Remember the little Green Army soldiers? Remember Cowboys and Indians? Remember buying buying kids them little cap guns and stuff like that and all that nonsense? It's, and, and they're geared to what? The men. Mm-hmm. They're geared to what? Yep. The men. So society has always taught us to be violent. So it's like now since the FCC or whomever controls these video games, they have relaxed their standards. Just like you said, now you're seeing the blood and all that stuff on the screen. And like you said, you know, you just hit reset or start game, you know, uh, start the game over, and they're right back. Well, that's not life, buddy, because when you're dead, you dead. You ain't coming back. You ain't, that's that's the end game. But the thing is, society has taught us to be. But the, what was the first murder ever created? I mean, ever committed in human history? When Cain killed Abel. Yeah. Wow. So it's like, wow. So we have been violent since the dawn of creation, and they inbred it in us. We, you, you and I, growing up, and Dean growing up back in the seventies and eighties, cowboys and Indians, we didn't think nothing about it. You either wanted to be the Indians, wanted to be the cowboys, cops and robbers. Right. You wanted to be the cops, right. you wanted to be the robbers. You know, this, this, and this. Now it's like, like you said. Now they, they don't play those games because guess what? All they got to do is plug it in, turn on the power button, it's right in front of them. And they can talk to their friends over there in Spain with down there in Brazil, and they're playing worldwide, you know, with their friends, and they're playing the game, killing and glamorizing it and cheering and all that stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's always been embedded in us. So, I mean, w- people have to realize, and they need to open their eyes, we created this monster. Now, now the monster is out. Now they're like, okay, how do we control it now? It got out of control. Right. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. like we, we controlled that monster. And, and also, a lot of times we also have people that try to glamorize what's going on, but they themselves yeah. weren't involved. Like, I, you know, you mentioned 45 earlier, and last time I checked, he's always glamorizing the military, but I don't think he served. Or not that I served, so I can't talk because I didn't serve either, but I but I know I also don't claim that I serve. So, but he claimed that he's, you know, he he glamorizes the whole thing, and I think he actually avoided military, if I remember correctly. Who and and who who was that you were talking about? Mr. Bones, the current president. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, let's let, 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 let's let's keep this conversation lighthearted because I mean I know our our, our listeners we we don't we don't need to do anything because. Uh, his his mouth tells us all we need to know. So so whatever you know. Yeah yeah. Next subject. Uh uh-uh, uh. Nah, I'm I'm not even going down the road with him. No no. Is it is it, is it November yet? Should, should not be turning my head on. It needs to be. It needs. It definitely needs to be. Now speaking of November, I understand because our first conversation when uh, Dean put us in touch, you said that you were thinking about running for political office. What political office are you thinking about running for? And would it be this time or will it be two years from now? And why do you think that you want to be a politician? Well, the main thing is, and I'm glad you asked that question, because um, as you, as I said earlier, I'm the congressional liaison here for the uh, regional office here in Philly, here in the tri-state area, here in South Jersey. And I deal with the politicians every day. Um, with their staffers, and we have, you know, in-depth conversations and everything. And uh, it definitely won't be this year because of the pandemic. I was getting ready to run, and then, you know, how you get that small, still voice that says, don't rush it, don't rush it. Well, I'm glad I didn't because now it's a pandemic, and 
how can I get my name out there? I mean, virtual is good, but people want to actually get out and meet who you are. And I was like, okay, nope, this isn't the year. So I didn't throw my, you know, my hat out there. Um, but definitely um, I do believe after a lot of prayer um, that it is time for me to run for public office because the people's voice isn't being heard. Our politicians are in office. A lot of them are in office for their own self-needs. Um, you know, for for their own self interest. You know, I can. I mean, we we all know who they are. We we don't need to say uh, Mitch McConnell. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, but um, there's uh, there's there's a lot of politicians that are in for their own self interest. They don't care about the people because if they cared about the people, we wouldn't have to wait for something drastic to happen for a law right. to be passed. You know, right. and you know they uh, like down in what was it Tennessee with the Breonna Taylor case. You know, now they finally passed, you know, the uh, you, you have to knock before entering. It's like that's one-on-one in the police academy. That's common sense. You never enter a, because you don't know what's behind the door. So shouldn't you knock anyway? That's what they're talking before you go into any any residence. You always knock first because you don't know what that person he, he has in there. So why would they just knock? I don't care if the guy was uh, 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 what, 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 uh, Scarface. I don't care if he was Scarface. You don't know what he got there behind that door. It's your safety. So why did something drastic have to happen for them to do that? The people's voice is not being heard, and it's and it and it's a shame. I mean, it, uh, now uh, we're going to keep this lighthearted. So so with that being said, uh, yes, I will be running for assemblyman here in South Jersey next year um, after this year's election is uh, over with, and uh, you know next year around January I'll get the petition, get it out, uh, you know definitely get my signatures. And put my name in a hat. I will be running a Democrat, and uh, the, the people's voice need to be heard. I mean, we, we we don't have a lot of problems here in Camden County, but we do have the problems here because of our teachers. And the main problem here in uh, Camden County is the teachers, and with their health benefits and with their vacation days, and of course we know pay. Uh, the uh, the teachers have the most important job in the world, and they get paid the least amount of money. There's something wrong with that picture. And then you got the roads that are torn up. And most importantly, it's, it's my fellow veterans because somebody needs to stand up there and tell them, hey, look, $250 on a property tax relief for a veteran is a slap in the face. When you got, uh, we got all these millions, got one, one of the, uh, I, I just read this the other day, per capita, we are number, I believe it's four or five in the country of rich people in this small state here. And yet and still, you're giving veterans a $250 property tax release. And then at the same time, like I stated earlier, uh, I can be, be a voice for my fellow veterans as well because you can get the, the estate to get involved with mental health. The president wanted to probably the only thing he ever did good was sign the executive order on mental health. So why isn't, uh, you know, our boy here up there in uh, Trenton doing anything about that? Yeah, yeah, we got the pamp, you know, we um got the billboards up and everything, but I don't see your face on the commercial. I don't see my assemblywoman's face on the commercial. I don't see anyone out there, you know, I mean, you you are a state elected official, so you're not paying for the airtime. The state is paying for it. It takes a little you know, a little heart and some common sense to stand in front of the uh camera and to tell the people you are here for them and mental health is a increasing problem. And I'm here to help you, and this is where you need to go. But you, but you only see them when, when it's election time. 
And I promise, you know, that I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be out there all the time because people need to know who your politicians are and they need to know you are out there for them. They need to see you out there, not just building a park, you know, in Camden or building a park in South Philly or something. No, they need to see you doing more than that. They don't need you only at Thanksgiving giving out dinners. They don't need you only on Veterans Day going down to Walter Reed Hospital. They need you to do more than that. And I think people people are fed up in it, and they're tired. I mean, look at look at our upcoming election. We literally have to pick the, the lesser of two evils. One's not saying nothing, which is actually kind of smart, but it's also it might backfire on him. And the other one just won't keep his mouth shut, and he's riling people up. So it's like, wow, what do we do? What do we do? Yeah. Yeah, you got a good point. That's a good description of both of those candidates, and you're right. The local elections are very important because I know even here in the the Durham area where I'm at, a lot of times the uh, candidates will do a lot of good jobs of campaigning, but then when it's time for them to show up during the course of the regular year, folks sometimes get frustrated because they don't see them out as much as they see them during the campaign trail. So that's a problem that I know a lot of folks have uh, throughout the country, or either that or they'll say one thing and then do something else once they get in office. So I've also had people that have complained about that where they've heard somebody promise something and then when they've actually been called on it, they're not doing what they said they were going to do. So it sounds like you're going to be one to not just make the promises and the pledges, but you're actually going to try to back those pledges up. So if somebody's listening and they're not in your district, like I said, we have listeners, of course, like Dean, who's up there in Jersey, and we have quite a few listeners in Jersey and New York area, but we also have some in North Carolina and throughout the country and throughout the world. So if somebody's listening that's not in your district, what can they do to help your campaign that's going to happen in another year or so? What can somebody here in North Carolina do or say in California, or even in, uh, we sometimes have listeners that are listening from places as far away as maybe even some places that you served at, like Dubai and um, the Middle East and places like that. So if somebody's listening and they're not in your district, what can they do to help your campaign? What can they do to help the veterans that you're helping? Because a lot of times these veteran issues are across the area. They're not just in your mm-hmm. area, but they're throughout the country. So just uh, share with us some ways that people can help if they're listening right now or if they're listening on one of our rebroadcasts, that they can help your campaign as well as just help the veterans in general. Okay. Uh, definitely. But I, I want to I ask you a question. If you had a problem down in North Carolina in Durham and you want to reach out to your politician, and most most of us know who our congressmen are and our, and our, and our senators are, do you know who your assembly person would be or your council person would be to address yep. your problems down there? Yeah, we have. Um, I know um, our city council people, we've actually had a few of them actually on this show here. So, yeah, I know Jillian Johnson. I know uh, Deidreana Freeman, uh, Mark Middleton, um, and a couple of others. And so I would actually say that I probably know the majority of them. But I do know that a lot of my listeners cannot say that. I just happen to be very engaged exactly. in activism and politics and things of that nature. So I do know that in general, that answer would be no. But I, like I said, I'm the exception to the rule and not the norm. Exactly. Because I actually know my mayor and know some of the other people, know, know most of my county commissioners. I know Wendy Jacobs is one, Brenda Howard, and I don't know that I can name all of them. But I could probably name the majority of the city council, and probably if I thought long and hard enough about it, I could probably say the majority of the county commissioners. But you are right 
a lot of the general population does not know that. And that's a shame because you elected them. You know, you and I know, and Dean knows, and you know, and you know, probably a good, you know, a good portion of your um, listening audience probably do or may know one of them outside of, you know, like I said, the the U.S. congressmen or, or women and the and the U.S. senators. But it's like it's it's a shame because you only see them, you only see your assembly person or your city council when there's something controversial, when there's something that comes out of nowhere, you know, uh, uh, or is a controversial bill. Like here in Philly, a lot of these uh, city councilmen and women started coming out because it was a couple of years ago about the soda tax. But now you ain't heard a peep from them since. Now two of them call in the sports radio station that I live up here, um, you know, that I listen to up here. But it's like outside of that, how can we don't hear from you? It takes, it, it, it takes a little – people have put you in office. You don't want them to forget about you. And you also want them to know that you haven't forgot about them. And and that's, to me, I think it's a major problem with politics. Our politicians get in office and, you know, they're, they're out there on the trail shaking hands, kissing babies and everything, and saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, blah, 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 blah. Then they get in office, and we all know the story, okay? Nothing. Peace. Quiet is heard. Now, one thing that they do do wrong is definitely make promises and not realizing that, oh, I'm the junior person on here. I might not be able to have that much pull yet. Uh, yeah, but if you get a couple of the veteran uh, politicians or, or uh, you know, assembly people on your side, then you have some clout. Then you have some clout right there, and you can start building up. So you have to build your reputation. It's like coming into a fraternity. You're a neo until, you're, you know, until you earn your bones. Same thing in politics. You're a neo, but at the same time, you went out there and made the people these promises. They haven't heard from you since you made those promises. Uh, hello, is there a problem there? Yes, there's a drastic problem. And what people can do uh, to help me in my campaign is is put the word out and want to and tell your politicians we need to hear from you. We don't we don't need no letters. We don't need to see you out there working at no playground park. We don't need to see you out there uh, 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 just going out for Thanksgiving and Christmas time. No, they need to see you. They need to see. I mean, how hard is it? I mean, I mean, let's let, let's let's just break this down for a second. We also know about security and everything. I mean, we know that. But how hard is it for a councilman to go to a McDonald's or a Shoprite or just you know the average day place and just say hello and meet people? And it's not an election. This this is this this just a normal day. This right. is normal. How hard is it to do that? Now we know you're going to have security, and that's fine. But how hard is it just to yeah, meet the people? They voted for you. Some of them just voted because you were a name on a, on a, on a ticket, and they didn't know who you you know who the other guy was, and you were new and you were a fresh face. So they said, you know what, I'm going to vote for Sheldon. You know, I don't, I don't know about this Kirkpatrick dude. So, you know, I think he need to go. We, we just, go, but you don't know me. So now you just voted yeah. for my name, and then now I'm out there in the public, and you don't know who I am, and that's wrong. You know, uh, the, the main thing, um, and this isn't really for my campaign, but it's more so for this upcoming election. We have to demand more from our politicians. We need to demand more. We need to see you. You you don't don't make a promise. You're not gonna raise taxes before you get in office because you don't know what the situation is going to be. 
Don't make promises that you know probably you won't be able to keep. Be honest and real with the people. Come from the heart. If you know police brutality is wrong, then you need to stand on it and tell the people what you propose. And that's the key phrase right there, propose to do. So that people can be like, okay, this sounds like somebody that's going to come up there and fight. We know police brutality has been a problem. It's been a problem since the dawn of creation. Okay, this isn't something new. This is something that started overnight. But we need someone that's going to stand up and say enough is enough. Let's not have another, you know, Eric Gardner or, or Floyd or, or, or George Floyd or, or any of those situations, Trayvon Martin. Enough is enough. Stand up. Tell the people what you propose and go and fight for them. That's what the people want. People want a politician that's going to stand up and fight the powers to be, and that's the type of politicians we need. Who's going to be who? Who are going to be? You know, like The Rock said, I'm a I'm a wrestling fan, so you know, The Rock always said, I'm the people's champ. That's what the people need. They need a champ. They need a champ that's going to go out there, keep his or her word, and fight for them. Go up there. Enough with raising taxes here in Camden County. Enough of these teachers being underpaid and getting ready to lose their medical. Enough of all that stuff. They're cutting back on that, this, this, this. But yet still they perform the most important job in the world. Because if they don't teach us, who else is going to teach us? Who else is going to teach us? Mom and dad, we can can only do but so much. My my daughter and son, no, don't come ask me about no calculus and algebra. Shoot. Don't get me to lie. You better Google it. <laughs> so, so who's going to teach them? You know, if it's if it's not for them. So, you know, what what the people can do for me, um, you know, is is I'm definitely, you know, um if they have friends up here in the tri state area, especially here in uh, South Jersey in Camden County, is to just spread the word that, you know, this guy, you know, Kelvin Stewart, um he uh, works for the VA, and he has a nonprofit in uh, South Jersey to help fellow veterans. And he sounds like that he's somebody for the people, and 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 I am because I'm tired because our voice is not being heard. And at the same time, what they can do is, is spread the word down to where they live and say, "Hey, look, demand more from your politicians. Demand more than just smoke and mirrors. Put, tell us, tell, don't don't come to us with broken promises. Tell us the truth." Don't say you're not going to raise taxes and six months in you're going to raise the taxes. Don't say you're going to cut down on police brutality and then you just had two incidents and you ain't said nothing. You know, we don't we don't need no more of that. We need someone who's not afraid, who's going to stand up and say enough is enough. Enough with the good old boy system. Enough with the with the with the uh, Aunt Jemima uh, stuff that's going on and all that stuff. We need people to stand up and say enough. Your, the history is already black. Okay, it's already blackened. So I always tell people, instead of you reading history, why don't you start making history? And that's what I'm here to do, to make history in office. Um, your listeners, like I say, in the tri-state area, if you can start spreading, you know, spreading the word, uh, just, just be on the lookout. Like I said, um, on Facebook, I'm Sheldon R. Stewart. Um, you can definitely um, look up the Veterans Reset Center. We're on Facebook and also on LinkedIn. Um, my website is uh, www.tv rc.us that's tango victor romeo charlie dot uh, uncle and sierra dot us um you can you can look us up there um my cell phone information is on there i just ask if you reach out to me please send me a text message because you know with these scam calls and everything you know um if i if i don't recognize your number i'm just gonna be honest i'm not gonna answer but if you send me a text message i'll definitely you know get back to you but i mean we just we just need people we just need politicians to stop worrying about their own self-interest you know uh 
Martin Luther King said something, and a lot of people started quoting him, and he's actually right because I listen to a lot of his speeches uh, when I when I work out here. You know, I have my gym in my house now because you know Corona, and I listen to a lot of his speeches and Malcolm X speeches. And um, Martin Luther King said that uh, you know that we may have to pay not for just the appalling actions of the bad people, but also the appalling silence of the good people. And here is a situation right now where good people need to speak up. I mean, last last I heard, a closed mouth never got fed. So uh, people pe- people need to speak up. They need to demand more from their politicians, whoever it may be. Um, and the politicians need to wake up and be out there in the community so people know who you are, so they know that you voted for them and that, um, you know, you're – you're continuing the fight because the fight's going to go on long after you know our time has passed. The fight's always going to be here, but you need someone who's brave enough to stand up and say enough's enough, enough's enough. And 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 quite frankly, I'm tired. Enough's enough. Enough of this nonsense. Yeah. If you can't treat people with respect, see you later. Don't bother. Stay home. Stay home. Yep. <laughs> we good. <laughs> we ain't gonna miss you. Stay home. <laughs> yeah, makes a lot of sense. Makes a whole lot of sense. Now, I'm just curious. Uh, we got to wrap up. We've got about another ten to twelve minutes to go. But I know here okay. in this area, one of the issues that has been dealt with has been, and I was wondering if you're going to touch on this in your campaign, has been gentrification. Now, of course, some of this construction has gotten put on hold because of the coronavirus. But we were definitely seeing a lot of people that were having their, you know, housing that was being rising costs, and a lot of people that were of different cultures moving in because of the prices. I imagine that that was going on in New Jersey as well. So is that something that you're going to touch on during your campaign? Because I know gentrification is definitely an issue that has been hitting throughout the country with a lot of these new houses and new apartments that are being developed and are not exactly the cheapest in the world. So they're driving out some of our folks, whether they're just regular citizens or veteran citizens or whatever. So just wanted to know some of your thoughts on that, whether that is an issue that you'll be touching on during your campaign. Well, yeah, definitely, and, I, and I'm glad you, you did go there because that's the problem that was established by the builder. When the builder, when he or she, uh, the company, went and got that contract, they let the um, let the uh, county officials know what type of clientele they were attracting. So that goes back to what I was saying earlier, your politicians, your county administrators, your county officers. That's where it all started from. They had to get the approval from them that we are going to build, you know, 150-room apartment building here in Pittman, New Jersey, and we just want the the middle class, preferably, uh, you know, we want 30% African-American and the rest Caucasian, you know, or whatever the case may be. And that's where it all started from. And your county officials that you elected signed off on it. So that's, that's a major problem right there. And that's been going on, and it's, and it's a shame because, um, you know, it's like, you you make the money to live where you want to be, and you still can't. Now, 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 how does that math make sense? If I can afford it, and I want to live in Bell, you know, what's it, uh, like Belmar, New Jersey, which is up there at the shore, one of one of our shore communities. From white black, it doesn't matter. If I can afford the four hundred thousand dollar mortgage, why can't I stay there? Why you, why is a realtor going to try and tell me, uh, nah, we don't think this is for you? Why? Because of the price of this, this, and this, and 
This is okay. I know all this going on. Why do you want to try and sell me a place over there in uh in um, Jersey City for? Why? Oh, I see why. Okay, you want a specific type. So this this all comes all the way back down from your county officials and your elected officers before those comp before those that construction company and and that um a property company got that contract. The county officials signed off on that, and that's where it needs to start. The county officials need to look. I don't care where you live. Can you afford it? Can you pay the taxes? Can you pay the mortgage? Okay, come on in. Period. End of story. No, 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 no. And and, and that's and that's re- ridiculous. But we all knew where this came from. What this came from in the what the thirties, forties, fifties. That's why we have Harlem because that's where they put us. And it made it so dirt cheap. That's why we have Camden, New Jersey. We have Jersey City. We have all these places now that they deliberately put us there so they can control us. Why? Why Why are we such a threat? What did I do? I breathe the same air. I got the same blood. Some of you, we wore the same uniform. What's the problem? Oh, I got it because I have a permanent tan 365 days a year, and you don't. Okay, okay. And you feel intimidated by it. Okay, no problem. All right, now we got you. But that all goes all the way back to what? Your, your, your elected public officials. And that's when, that's when I was saying earlier, they need to take their own self-interest out of it because they signed off on it because what you and I know is probably something on the back end for them. And the mayor had to sign off on that too, right? So before you yep. can do any construction, I mean, you got a whole lot of stuff you got to go through. You got to go through zoning, you know, definitely unions to build all. You got so much you got to go through. So everybody signed off on it so they can track the certain. Uh, yes, uh, they're setting off. They're they're setting off fireworks here. So <laughs> not shoot. No problem. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they 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 just everyone had to sign off. Everyone had to yep. sign off from 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 the president of the company that. Uh, made the proposal all the way down to the local union stewards that signed off to to build it. They all knew what they were doing, and that all goes back to bam, your elected officials. Yep, absolutely. You have to get those elected officials, and they have to be uh, doing what they said they're going to do. Now, the other thing, and this is the last thing I'm going to bring up, and everything that I know happens here, and I don't know if it happens in New Jersey as much, or even the Tri County area, and everything, is that we have a lot of people that get caught up in the packs, which is like these uh, committees. And here we have the Derm Affairs, the Committee of Black People. We also have the People's Alliance, but they're like the endorsement groups that are very much the kind of controlling factors. There are some new ones that have started up. So uh, do you have that as much there in the, the New Jersey area? And how will you deal with those if they exist? Because I know here they kind of control who gets elected because uh, unfortunately we have a lot of folks and I agree with both you and Dean that you need to research, but we have some people around here that they get the sheet of the endorsements. And I know that there y'all have organizations like the NAACP and the urban league and they get the endorsement and they pretty much vote whatever those people tell them to vote without really doing the research themselves. So that's one of the things that I have a problem with is mm-hmm. that, you know, don't just get this statement and just vote because Somebody told you to vote that person, but I think mm-hmm. you need to do the research yourself. So I was wondering, is that an issue there in New Jersey? Do you have those kind of groups? Those P that we hear they're called PACs, but those PACs are those kind of like interest groups that oh, yeah. send out their endorsements and people vote solely those endorsements. Political action committees, wherever there's politics, there will always be PACs. And the only thing that you can do is, as a politician is just be smart about it. 
wherever there's money involved, there's going to be packs. Wherever there's politics involved, there's going to be packs because everyone has what their own self-interest. And that's why we're in the state we're in now because everyone has their own self-interest. And as a politician, you have to, no matter no, no, no matter what the cost, you know, sometimes it may be a little, it may be a steep cost, you have to stand on your morals. You have to stand on your morals. When those packs come, and they, you know, and they uh, want to endorse you if you do such and such and such for them, you got to look at yourself. You got to sit back and be like, wait a minute, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with blah, 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 blah. So why are you going to go with that path? Why are you even going to do that? It, it, it's, a, it's a shame. It, it isn't right. But that's the system that they put in place. This is the system they put in place. You, you can't even, and and shame to say that, say this, but it's true. You really can't even run without affiliating with one of them. You know, just like you said, NAACP, the, uh, the Urban League, um, you know, the veterans organizations up, up here, you know, stuff like that. And I'm sure there's a gazillion other ones up in this area. Once my name gets out there, I'll get, you know, uh, uh, phone calls and uh, correspondence and stuff and this, this, and this. That's when, like you said, you got to do your research on them. You got to do, do your research on them, and you always got to remember what's in the best interest of the people. A lot of people, a lot of these politicians, they join these packs because of what? Their own self-interest. Okay, if I do this, this, this to them, they're going to give me such a such, such a fact. And okay, I'm good. Okay, I'm good. You know, um, just just uh, recently, we uh, remember you had the situation with not only the actors, but a couple of politicians got involved with the, uh, the uh, school and stuff, with the kids going to school. And, you know, they, they either didn't, didn't take the test or didn't even, uh, uh, you know, do the uh, classes or anything like that. And they got caught up in that. They didn't take the entrance exams and all that stuff, but, but they got in because, guess what, that school had their little system. And they said, okay, if you do this and then this for us, we'll get little Johnny and Mary in school. And then it was a big scandal on that because it's like, wait a minute, how did they get in school? And then you find out, oh, okay, they were a member of such and such, that little pack over there. So they, they went ahead and they ran to them. And they did them a favor, so they went ahead and let little Johnny and Billy in school. And, and then what is what does that do? Little Johnny and Billy, you know, graduate from college, and it's got Harvard on there instead of Rowan University. Really? Are you serious? And they didn't even earn it. So I mean, you 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 just have have to be smart. Unfortunately, um, they have you know uh, politicians, even presidents, and uh, and courts have tried for centuries to try and get rid of them. The sad part is you can't. They, they, are, yep. they are here. You just have to be smart and do your research. Before you sign on that dotted line, do your research. If this is what is this what's in the best interest for the community? Is this what's in the best interest for the people? The people put their trust in me, just like me working for the federal government. They put their trust in me to allow me to work for the federal government. I can't let them down. They trusted me to do my job and do with excellence. To just say anything in politics, they are trusting you to be an ethical, upright man. You know, uh, a man of moral character that's going to do the best by them. So when those packs come and you know you're not going to be a part of the, uh, uh, you know, the the, uh, the uh, NRA, so why are you going to uh, partner up with the uh, the Hunters Association of Camden County, New Jersey? You don't even like guns. You know what I'm saying? So it's like do your research, find out who they are, and especially, you know, as we know, right wing, left wing, or, um, you know, or, or independent. You have to find out what side they on. A lot of them sign up with these packs, and then they come to find out, oh, I didn't know you didn't believe 
in uh, abortion. Oh, I didn't know you didn't you you know that that you're an atheist. <laughs> Too late now. You don't know how to deal with the government. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's, that's it's, real it's, too. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's um, it's out there. They just they just have to do the research and just be smart because the people are trusting you to do what's best by them. And the people can't trust you. Who can't? Who else can? That's very true. Well, that's wrapping up the show. I definitely appreciate you joining us out here, Shelton. You definitely gave a lot of great insight, and I appreciate it. Sorry for the uh, mix-up. I should have gotten in touch with you earlier, and I thought that I had already arranged everything, but that was my bag. But I still think you gave a lot of great insight, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, Usually as we close out the show, we always have people that uh, the guests, and sometimes we have multiple guests, but you are an amazing guest, and you just held the – floor just by yourself and that was a great thing me and dean were chit-chatting before so we definitely appreciate you being on but as we wind down we always ask our guests and or guests whatever what advice or word of encouragement that they would give to people just in general so you've shared a lot of general knowledge about politics and just general things in general but me and dean usually calls out with something uh, as well but what words of encouragement or word of uh, advice or just something that you would give as a uh, quick word of encouragement just to our general audience from uh, throughout the world so anything that you want to share with them we would love to hear from you in that regard well, I would I would just like to say what I what I said earlier. What I told people: stop stop reading history and start making history. Make your own history. Your story hasn't been your story hasn't been told, and it's up to you how you want your story to be told. You know, um, just stop stop reading history. Learn from history, and uh, you make history. And that's what I mean. Whether it's whether it's uh, finding a cure for the common cold. Or whether it's as simple as being a school bus driver and, you know, taking care of the kids and make sure they're safe. Start making history. Because if we don't start making history, as I hate to say this, we're going to become history. Very powerful words. I appreciate those very powerful words. Dean, what you got to say? This is your friend Sheldon. He definitely brought some fire with him. So what do you got to say as we wrap up? And uh, I know we got a few other things we want to let folks know about. And you always have your sayings of what you say at the end. And I've got a couple of things some of them know about next week's show and some words of wisdom that I've got as well. But uh, what do you want to share with the world also, Dean? Um, It's an outstanding interview today. We would like to thank Sheldon is not only my friend, but he is also my brother. And he did an outstanding job on this show tonight. Make sure y'all check out and support the Veterans Reset Center. They provide housing, counseling, job placement, and individual development. Again, that website is www.tvrc.us. Make sure, and if you can so do so, make a donation. Help support that cause. Like he said, it's never too late for a new beginning. That's the Veterans Reset Center. Remember to catch us on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here at blogtalkradio.com. We're live. Don't forget to catch us tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. on the Skyhawk Radio Network. And if you missed those, we have replays on Radio Public iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, Castbox, and right here 
at Blog Talk Radio. Like I always say, when you walk outside your front door, it's showtime in the world is your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. With that being said, it's the Six Man Dean Geronimo. Have an outstanding week. We see y'all in seven days. And Dean, just really quickly, as I'm here to tell people about what we've got going on next week, you said that you put up those new shows on what day? What day did you have those running? So I'm here to tell people about those. It's the Mark Lee Show, y'all. It comes on Saturday at 1 p.m. right here at blogtalkradio.com. We also have other shows, Chef Gang Podcast, The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, and quite a few others, Let's K-12 Better, Mona Shake, The Minority Reports. Um, I'm forgetting somebody, and I don't want to leave them out, but just keep it locked right here to Straight Talk with Dana Mark, the Level Podcast Network. We keep going, we keep moving, we keep grooving, because that's what we do. And um, we do have a couple of other shows. She's on call. Funk from the front seat, the Just Podcast, and then the Let's Talk About It radio show. And that's every one of them. Yep, and we might be adding some more. I'm talking to a photographer friend to see if he wants to join our family and a couple of others. But you know we do have those interviews coming up. So go on to our website and you'll see that we have this week some upcoming episodes, one that deals with career coaching from a young lady from the New York area. That's right. She moved from New York to Australia, and she is doing career coaching all the way from Australia. So we had that conversation, and that is Aaron. And then earlier today we had a show that dealt with healthy living, with my good friend Hadassiah Patterson, who is a chef, and Belinda, uh, who is a yoga expert. So we had demonstrations of both healthy living and yoga. And you got to see, uh, if you saw the video or the streaming, the actual performance of all of this, but you get to hear about it on the show and everything. So definitely keep that in mind. That is going on, and so you can catch those. And then next week we've got some great musicians and artists that will be on the show. We've got uh, Lisa Snyderman, who goes by the name of Aoti, and Tony O, and they are two performers on the show. And we will also be joined by uh, Delinda Watson, whose career is dedicated to parenting and marriage counseling. And there might be some others that will be joining us as well. And, you know, okay. uh, my good friend, because i become a friend of mine now, but my good friend Shelton was talking about being sure to be in the place where well, we've got an event that's going on this coming weekend, this Friday. I mentioned some other events that are going on. Well, this Friday, mm-hmm. the group of folks that I'm involved with with the Fayetteville Street area here in Durham, they are going to be providing some uh food to some people at a uh, couple of feeding sites, but also giving them information about voting and the Census Bureau and things of that nature. So if my politician okay. friends are listening, take the advice of Sheldon and show up. You know, this might be a chance for you to meet some of your constituents. So since Sheldon said that you don't need to just show up during election time, and some of you are not running, I'm saying that you need to show up at this event on Friday. One of them will be 12 to 1, and the other, I think, is from 3 to 4. The 12 to 1 one will be taking place at the Chicken Hut, and the 3 to 4 one will be at New Visions of Africa. So, like I said, come on over by, check it out, get this very important information about what's going on with the census as well as voting, and of course, you know, there'll be some food at these sites as well, and of course, we also want to get information about things that are of concern 
to you. So this is a group that I've been part of, a fellowship that I've been part of, and we're looking to get some information from the community. But I have no problem with the politicians popping up and talking as well. So you've heard Shelton say, you know, don't just show up during election time. So I'm telling you right now, show up during this event. I'm telling them right now, and they can hear this replay. So I expect to see at least a couple of them at the event since Shelton has called them out and said that they need to show up, not just during election time. And also remember what he said. Stop reading about history and start making it. So we'll see y'all next week, man. Sounds good. We'll talk to you later. We're going to continue trying to make as much history as we can. I think we're making some good history right here on the Next Level uh, Network. What do you think, Dean? <laughs> we we definitely are, man. And uh, we keep going. Keep checking in. We keep making it. Yeah, we keep going. We keep going in. And just I'm going to let you know and let our listeners know. You know, you put up there that we had crossed the 10,000 mark. Well, guess what? We're at 10,121. So who knows? Maybe by this time next week or the week after, maybe we would have crossed the 11,000 mark or something like that because we're already at 10,121. So we're still getting people to continue to download these things and listen on a regular basis. So we're just going to keep these numbers climbing on up. And that's for sure. So, hey, y'all, before we get cut all the way off right here, we got to take a pause for the cause. We going to see y'all, man. Keep it locked. There's a whole bunch of shows, a whole bunch of good information. So, until next week, we see y'all. Peace.